Hello, my friends, and welcome to this week's New World Kirtan podcast. It's Tuesday, June 17, 2014. I'm Kitsy Stern, and our show is produced as an act of love and service to the worldwide Kirtan community. And it's also an audio journal of my spiritual journey through the practice of singing and playing Kirtan. Well, it's countdown time for Bhakti Fest Midwest. You can now get a day pass to the festival, and if you'll be there, please come say hello. New World Kirtan will be recording at a table back by the soundboard. If you have a live set from the festival you'd like to hear, let me know by sending me an email at the website. I'll be asking folks at the festival, too, and I'll podcast the sets that get the most votes. David Newman, or Durga Das, as he is also known, is a kirtan chant artist, a sacred singer-songwriter, best-selling author, and inspirational teacher. His music is deeply joyful, and I always feel good whether I'm playing or singing it. David and I talked about his music, his new book, The Time-Bound Traveler, and the things he has coming up that he's excited about. I'd like to welcome David Newman to the New World Kirtan Podcast. Today, I'm talking with David Newman, and David, it is a real pleasure to have you on the show today. Thank you for being here. Good to be here, Kitsy. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's a pleasure. I've... um. I read your book with interest. Mm. Yeah. That's that's nice to know. Yeah. Um, but I'd like to talk to you a little bit about your background first. We're um we're Philadelphia homies, you know that? You don't you didn't grow up too far from where I grew up. Uh where where did you grow up? Well, we grew up in West Philly and then moved out to the suburbs. Uh so we lived in Havertown. And um, yeah, we really do. We live five minutes. We well, I live five minutes away from Haverton. (laughs) Yeah, I was I was reading your uh, I was reading your history. So you uh, your parents introduced you to transcendental meditation when you were very young. They did. Yeah, it was back in the 1970s. And uh, it was, you know, TM was all the rage back then. And my parents uh, jumped on that. And I had the whole family was initiated. So that was me and my brother and my mother and father. You talk a little bit about that in the book, what that was like for you um, to be to be chanting mantra at such a young age. Do you feel that, that had an effect on you? Yeah, most definitely. It was uh, <clears throat> it was my first exposure to mantra. It was my first first exposure to meditation. And uh, it was really my first exposure to a vehicle that could connect me to my inner world. So there's there's no no questions that uh, that that experience uh, impacted my future for sure. How did that connection feel to the inner world? I mean, did you did you make that connection that young that you were actually contacting something that was not of this world? Well, um, it was certainly. Uh, um, I don't know if it was uh, not of this world, but it was uh, it was connecting to a place that enabled me to be in relationship to the world of my senses in a very different way. Um, I wrote in the book that most of my stresses around that time were were uh, connected to my homework, too much of it, mm-hmm. <laughs> and trying to get it done. And uh, when I meditated, it, it it helped me to feel relaxed so that I didn't uh, feel those stresses. And it's amazing now at 50, looking back on myself at that age and thinking that, wow, stress and anxiety in, in a way, it begins quite, quite young. Oh, yeah. The pressure. Yeah. The pressure for grades and to get into good schools. And, and uh, yeah. Yeah. How, 
how lucky that you were able to discover that tool at such a young age. Yeah, I, I feel grateful that I had that exposure. And then you, um, <laughs> we have a lot of things in common. You went, you went to pre-med. You studied pre-med. Yeah, I did. When I was uh, in college, I was I was uh, pre-med. I, I was actually a music major, but um, you know there are certain uh, courses that one has to take as uh, prerequisites for uh, for medical school, and uh, so I took those. Yeah, well, you know, if I had had music at that point, I I probably would have. <laughs> it would have been a nice balance, you know. It but, was. It it, yeah. it really kept me sane for sure. Yeah, and but then after that, um, you went to law school, right? I mean, like uh, there are probably gaps well, in there somewhere, but medical school, and then you went to L.A., right? Right. I I, I went to explore my music for a few years. <clears throat> what kind of music were you doing? I was a singer songwriter, sort of you know pop rock and roll music. I I had moved out to. Uh, lo- Let's see. I graduated college in '87. From 1987 till '80, uh, no, I graduated in '86. '86 to '87, I stayed in Philadelphia and I recorded music and I worked as a bartender. And then in 1987, I moved to Los Angeles to to really, you know, I, I had uh, you know a, a vision of uh, being a singer songwriter. Hmm. Who were your influences? Who did you listen? Who were you listening to? Oh, I was into you know so much music from, you know, I was really into progressive music like bands like Yes and Genesis were mm-hmm. were big on my list. Um, I liked Bob Dylan. I liked Bruce Springsteen. Um, I liked the Eagles. I liked the Doors. Neil Young, Joni Mitchell. I mean, you know, and in college I had studied <clears throat> jazz and classical music, so I, I really had a, a wide palette of the kind of music that I liked. Yeah, you can hear that in your in your music. Uh, I don't know if I ever told you, but um, our band does two of your covers, two of your songs. We do uh, Rama Bolo and we do Hey Mahalakshmi. Mm-hmm. And you know those songs. There's something in them, um, in your music, that just touches a universal chord that I can always guarantee that those chants will get people up dancing. Or you know, um, there's something very feel good about your music yeah. uh, and uh, thank you you're welcome hey Mahalakshmi hey Saraswati hey Matakali Jagatam de Jejema Jagatam de Jejema hey Mahalakshmi hey Saraswati
Bhakti Fed Fest Midwest <laughs> when you wore the cheese head. <laughs> that's a, my, my, my claim to fame. Yeah, that's an enduring image, man. I'll tell you, that was pretty funny. But, you know, I, I, as I was looking around, it was just such a perfect, it was so perfect. Um, and everybody was enjoying it so much. I'm really looking forward to seeing you again at, at Midwest. It's such a, a great, a great festival i love that one you know it's such a sweet it one. is it is i love i you know i was just this last weekend at a at a festival in milwaukee and uh, i just love the people uh, of the midwest and they're just um down to earth and so grateful to you know have that festival in their backyard and it's just a, it is the, it's just a good feeling to be together uh, during that time do you know when you're going to be on yet uh, yeah, I bel- yeah, I'm giving a workshop on Saturday late in the afternoon. Um, I'll look it up as we speak. Um, my kirtan set is on Sunday, and uh, that's from 5.30 to 7. And uh, then Saturday, my workshop is uh, also from 5.30 to 7. So 5.30 to 7, workshop Saturday, 5.30 to 7, kirtan on Sunday. What is your workshop going to cover? Oh, I say I give a workshop about nothing. I'm the Jerry Seinfeld of workshops. <laughs> <laughs> I speak about the relationship between bhakti and spiritual awakening. It's it's, it's very much a satsang. I, I speak, uh, you know, extemporaneously about the process of awakening and, and connected to bhakti practice. Interesting. You you decided you were going to go to law school after the L.A. experience, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. And then that was 1992. And so where did the Neem Karoli Baba transmission thing come in? That was after that was after law school, but it was before you decided to open the yoga studio. No, was it, it was uh, it was probably let's see about six or so years after I had opened the yoga school. Okay. So tell me, that is such a fascinating story. Um, your sister-in-law, or I've heard you describe her as your sister-in-love, which I thought was yeah. just so sweet. Um, but yeah. she um, she painted a picture. Why, why don't you tell it? You can tell it better than I. Yeah, <clears throat> I was. Uh, I had moved into a new apartment, and she asked me what I wanted as a housewarming gift. And uh, I told her it would be uh, wonderful for her to do a painting of one of the great saints of India, uh, of which I was very interested, but at that point I didn't have a guru. So she came over to my apartment and looked through a stack of books and gravitated toward a Miracle of Love, which is a, a book about Neem Karoli Baba. She opened the book and saw a photo of uh, Maharaji's face and was blown away. Her, uh, her words pretty much exactly were, 
I've never seen a face with this much joy. I have to paint <laughs> paint it. And um, the next thing I knew, several months later, she had painted this very large, very beautiful, very colorful uh, oil painting of uh, that image. And uh, soon thereafter, when I brought it home, I hung it on my wall. And uh, in a meditation, uh, Maharaji or Neem Karoli Baba came through the painting and spoke some very poignant words that changed my life. Uh, he said, uh, I manifested this painting for you because I want to be this big in your life. And uh, it was you know, like a telepathic communication of which I had never experienced um, in my life. I had read about it, but I never experienced it. And from that moment on, you know, I was, uh, I was uh, you know, on the bhakti path and singing kirtan and uh, practicing and sharing and you know, uh, traveling. And my whole life changed. You know, I, was, I was living in Philadelphia uh, running a yoga center and... Uh, that was, you know, probably my mid-30s when that happened. And then at the age of 40, uh, I started, you know, I became a gypsy traveling around the world. And that's what I've been doing for over 10 years now. So really, it was a, it was a pivotal moment in my life. Yeah, to read about that in the book, it's very powerful. Um, and um, and it, it really did change your life. And I, I, and I love the other story uh, that you have about that, about that, where Neem Karoli Baba came to you in a dream, you were trying to decide what you were going to do with your life, and and um, could you describe that a little bit? Yeah, I was, you know, at that time I was uh, just starting to get into kirtan. I was a yoga teacher, and uh, you know, gr- growing up in a family, a professional family. You know, my father was a surgeon, my mother was a state Supreme Court justice. Although I was passionate and loved teaching yoga, there was, you know, part of me that felt like I wasn't validated enough through it because, you know, I wasn't really, you know, earning a more traditional kind of living. And so one night uh, I prayed to to uh, Neem Karoli Baba to uh, give me guidance. And uh, he came to me in a dream and his response was was one word. Well, one word said twice, and that is, bolo bolo and that means sing and uh that was another one of those uh transformational moments because you know the part of me that was didn't feel like i was enough you know didn't quite get that but the part of me that was connected i guess you could say received it and from that moment on i started to devote my life to singing and um and sharing sharing my music i, I essentially for uh you know some years not quite 10 but you know maybe 6 or 7 years when i well no going back to law school it was about 10 years that i had put my uh, instrument down and it really had stopped creating and making music so um through that moment and through kirtan uh and getting inspired to write songs again um you know it it led me to what I'm, my, my life as i know it now interesting yeah and, and, and you know, Kitsy, I, I never, my whole, you know, career in music was not premeditated. I it was not you know, something that I was aspiring towards. It was like a gift that was given back to me, and uh, most definitely unexpectedly. <laughs> Ram 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 Ram
But, but music itself is is so fulfilling and it, it, it fills a hole in, in 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 our lives that can't really be filled any other way I, I don't think it that that joyful expression whether you're actually creating the music or participating in it with this and um, yeah so um, you studied in Portland in 1994. Did you? I don't know if this is a pivotal experience for you, but I wanted to ask you: Was that associated with the Movement Center? Is that where you were? Yes. Okay. Yes, it is. That's okay. right. Um, was this something that you that you think was pivotal? What happened at the Movement Center or uh, the studies that you did there? Yeah, most definitely. Back then, it was called the Nityananda Institute, and uh, I believe their name has changed, but. Uh, you know, I was very drawn to a spiritual teacher who had passed named Rudy, and uh, one of Rudy's uh, disciples who had become a guru of, in his own right, uh, Swami Chaitanananda, had written several books that really inspired me. So I traveled to Portland to study with him, and um, that whole experience was, was big for me. Um, it gave me some powerful teachings that were both enlightening, uh, expanding, and but also difficult. And then uh, at the end, uh, you know, I, I, I write this in the book that this should happen to everybody at least once. Um, I got kicked out of the ashram, and um, and that was a good thing because uh, I think I had a real attachment to him as a teacher and to that path, and it was through that uh, incident, in other words, uh, that I had to leave the ashram, that, that I found Neem Karoli Baba, and I found Bhakti, and I found Kirtan, so... You know, it was an example of fierce grace, but uh, it's kind of like if, if a, uh, you know, if your partner broke off with you and uh, that wasn't what you wanted, but then, you know, you found, you know, your soulmate. It was something like that for me. So, yeah, it was it was a pretty big experience for me. Hmm. I, rem- I remember flying home. I didn't live at the ashram. I lived in on the East Coast, but I would fly there to study with with. with with Swami Chaitanya I remember distinctly that flight home after that incident, and I really did feel heartbroken and misunderstood too. Hmm. Hmm. But it opened up another whole pathway for you. Yeah, and you know, I've had so many demonstrations of difficult times that led me to finding uh, just um, invaluable things in my life. So I, I've sort of. I think I've been taught by life that you know whether it you know whether it's good or bad it's all leading somewhere you know Govinda Radhe Sham bolo Radhe Radhe Sham bolo Ram bolo
of meeting Mira, how you met Mira mm. through Bhagavan Das and how he influenced you. Um, yeah. And it, it's such a beautiful heart story of the way mm. you got together. And um, I think what what we, we drove, you, you asked her to come and sing with you at a kirtan and the way you described it, we, we left for the kirtan friends and we came home in love. Yeah, exactly. It was it was beautiful. Yeah, you know, I it was an interesting little full circle because uh, I introduced Bhagavan Das to Mira, and they they traveled and worked together for a few years. But when I introduced Mira to Bhagavan Das, I knew Mira's family better than I knew her. So it was through her relationship with Bhagavan Das that I got to know her as dear friends and. Um, you know, over the course of time, I spent a lot of time with her and Bhagavan Das, and um, you know, her other family, her sister and, and parents were kind of like family to me within the yoga community. And eventually, Mira became family to me. Um, but it, it was a platonic friendship. And uh, when when her her time with Bhagavan Das uh, was over, um, we continued to be friends. And then at some point. You know, the friendship turned into something else, but it, it, it was a graceful moment because n neither of us were pining for it. We were very content to, to, for the relationship to be as it was, but uh, it was literally over the course of, I would say, uh, 48 hours that we, we started to perceive each other through different eyes, and it was a great surprise to both of us. Um, but it was also an amazing teaching to us that, you know, sometimes, you know, the, the your your beloved is is walking right next to you and um and we felt like the you know the grand masters kind of you know pulled the veil from our eyes and suddenly allowed us to see each other in a new way and it was uh it, it required some surrendering on our parts because we were so used to seeing each other in the old light but uh it was just a force that uh you know we couldn't resist that is a beautiful story yeah it was amazing unfolding come to what you describe in the book as the experience mm -hmm. and uh it occurred fairly recently when uh mira was pregnant with tulsi so and she's what three now so yeah it happened in early november 2010 and the way that you describe this is that something unraveled and the the thing that unraveled was you Exactly. <laughs> Always such a, an interesting uh, topic to talk about, which I do often now. You know, uh, you know, in terms of having the book out and sharing about the book and, and teaching and talking. Um, yeah, the, the initial the unraveling w was really took place over the course of a few years, um, but the initial shock or the experience that I call a lightning bolt in the book happened only over the course of a few seconds. 
And it was the only way I can describe it is I had a vision of my own absence. In other words, there was there was perception, there was awareness, but there wasn't me there as the one who was having that perception. Hmm. Yeah. And whereas, you know, for instance, I I, I was talking about the Neem Karoli Baba uh, uh, transmission with the painting. That was very expansive, very joyous. This particular experience was was more of a terrifying kind of experience. The good news is that over the course of integrating that, it, it brought you know it brought a great gift to me, which I would say that the experience itself was one of the great gifts of my life, if not the. But at the time, it was that part of me that just wanted to keep placing itself back in the center. You know, I call it the separative me, uh, just you know kicked and screamed and didn't want anything to do with that emptiness or that sense of, a of absence. It resisted. And so I think one of the reasons I was called to write the book was to show that, you know, something that's, that the transformation of something being so terrifying and then so enlightening, you know, uh, is an important, you know, um, piece to share with people. And I've mentioned this earlier in the interview that sometimes things go wrong, but they're they're really going right in disguise. Yeah, yeah. That even when you think things aren't going the way they should, they 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 always are. Uh, yeah, they I mean, always are. They are. And one of the great. I, I'm. I mean, I'm 50 now. I can't say that I'm old, but one of the wonderful uh, uh, gifts of aging is that you get to see that uh, work. You get to see that in action. That, that at least in my case, from my perspective, there seems to be this intelligence that is pro propelling me forward to evolve. And uh, it, it will use uh, any anything on its palate to accomplish that. Yeah, it's humbling, isn't it? Yeah, it is humbling for sure. Um, could you describe a little bit about how this affected your bhakti yoga practice? Yeah, well... Um, in two ways, I mean, because it was such a scary experience, the sense of expressing my devotion to a higher power was very nurturing and very supportive and gave me the strength to see this experience in a way that uh, I could embrace it and open to it, you know, ultimately. Um, but on the challenging side, because that sense of self started to unravel, I started also to question whether there was indeed this distance or this separation between me and God, me and my guru, me and a sense of something greater that it, that existed independently of me. Because suddenly, as that sense of personal self started to unravel or dwindle, there was the flip side of that was the expansiveness is, okay, if I'm not this individuated self as separate from everything else, that I must be everything. And so as that personal sense of self started to fall away, something expansive started to, to, to come into the picture. And that thing was not separate from that which I expressed my devotion to. So I, I started to behold and perceive the oneness of everything as a result of my own, uh, my own absence. And so that brought into a little bit into conflict, you know, singing to something outside myself or praying to something outside myself. And that became a dilemma within my consciousness and within my practice. And and so how did you how did you resolve that? Um, 
did, has, is this, does this continue to, uh, it must continue to evolve this perception of you and, you know, as you describe it, you were in no man's land. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and um, how that affected your uh, your your devotion, your devotional calling. Well, there's certain certainly still you know an evolution in place w- w- within consciousness itself, and certainly as it expresses itself through th- through you know me as a vehicle. But the dilemma did resolve itself with an ultimate awakening that took place um, in the summer of uh, of 2013. I saw that you know, uh, that my nature uh, was not separate and was not limited or bound in any way. And yet, that's what I called the name of the book, The Time-Bound Traveler. There is a person having a time-bound experience. So there's my essence or my true nature that that is most definitely timeless. And yet, there is me, the person, having a time-bound experience. So when I chant and express devotion, it is, uh, I'm, I'm assuming, the character of that time-bound person known as me. But when my awareness just retracts and rests into itself when it's not engaged externally, uh, there is, there's no impulse to express a sense of devotion or prayer to something other than what I am. So it's, there's, there's, there's two... Um, I guess you could say currents happening within my consciousness and they're happening all the time. So as I get more involved in this practice and I speak to people who are much more involved in it than I am, um, I'm getting different perspectives on mantra and what it is used for. And Dave Stringer approaches it uh, purely from a neurophysiological standpoint as uh-huh. to what the mantra can do for you. Ian Baccio, whose mantra yoga intensive completely, just completely changed my approach to mantra, um, has, has it as invoking energy that, that is attached to the mantras and invoking a particular deity. So given this experience, when you sing kirtan, who or what are you singing to? Are you singing to a deity? Are you singing purely for the neurophysiological benefits? Are you, how, how, what is your focus now? More so than ever, my mind isn't involved in it. I'm not thinking about it. I'm I'm not, uh, I'm I'm singing and there's just a direct, you know, mantra is, uh, you know, it's non-symbolic. It's direct communion, so to speak, through the sound. So I don't really think about it, but I know that, you know, my, the consciousness of my, character personality you know it's it's everything you mention and everything in between sometimes it goes to a kind of devotional traditional toward a form of a deity sometimes it's purely neurological or sometimes it's just happening on a vibrational level and other times it's architectural you know, it's archetypal, archetypal, is that the word? Yeah. Um, you know, embodying different qualities or emotional impulses or things. And it's, uh, again, I, I don't really think about it too much anymore um, through the course of when I'm chanting, just different things arise, you know, in, in my field of awareness that, that, that can be, you know, any of the things that you mentioned. Um, and I think uh, it doesn't have to be one thing. 
You know, for some people it may be. If, if you're more traditional, you may chant and you know, meditate upon the form of Ganesh or Durga or what have you. For somebody on the other side of the spectrum, it just may be vibrational. But mm-hmm. um, just like life, mantra to me has you know, a tremendous amount of variety in terms of how it impacts you. And we're also existing on so many different levels. So it's not to say that all those uh, ways in which it, uh, it affects us perhaps are all happening simultaneously in a way. Oh, that's a really interesting way to look at it. Yeah, you know, I think I, I dip in and out of it depending on on um, where I am, uh, what I need. Sometimes I just want I just want my mind to relax. Other times I'm actually invoking Lakshmi or Ganesh with the mantras, you know, to to ask for something. Um, and then other times it's just pure joy. Just I just want to have it on in the background just because it makes me feel good. No, I, I don't even know what's happening at that point, you know. But, yeah, you're um, not. Yeah, exactly. And prayer, prayer is a, for me is a great component of kirtan. I, I often use it, and you know, my definition of prayer is just that you know there are people in my life that I want to send it, you know, energy or light to, and, and I often yeah. do it through the mantras. Yeah, yeah, it's a great way to do that. Do you do you ever feel as though Neem Karoli Baba? is is coming through you when you're chanting do you have that experience well um you know I, yes um, you know for me neem karoli baba is now less of a personal form and more of a frequency and if i had to define it i would say it's the frequency of open heartedness or mm. unconditional love there's a you know it's characterized by a sweetness mm. and um so that being the case absolutely Hmm. That's interesting. Um, in the book, you talk about Sham Das. Yeah. And um, and Sham had a similar experience uh, to you, only it happened when he was doing um, asana practice. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it scared him so much that, if I understand correctly, he never did asana again. Well, that's what he told me. <laughs> <laughs> that's um, what he told me. But he really helped you to in, to integrate the experience, didn't he? Could you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, he did. You know, Sham, Sham Das, you know, he, he had this perspective, and that was that, you know, those of us who had come to Bhakti had already been enlightened, and that a byproduct of enlightenment was uh, devotion. And so he didn't see that experience as leading to my enlightenment. He just looked at it as, uh, you know, a, a fierce grace that Krishna decided to give to me just to, you know, give me a vision of, of that uh, uh, of that aspect of his form, just for the sake of saying, here's, here's another possibility. Here's, I exist this way too. Did he see his own experience in that light? Very Do much you know? so. Hmm. Very much so. There's a, there's a, uh, a moment in the Bhagavad Gita where where Krishna gives that vision to Arjuna in the chariot, and he very much did. And you know the way that Shamdas really helped me, he said, is you know you don't have to do anything with that experience; just you know be with it and ultimately let it go. Yeah, easier said than done, though. <laughs> Yeah, well. when your whole when your <laughs> when whole your, world is shattered. Yeah, right. yeah. <laughs> the everything that you've based your life on thus far um, uh, has disappeared. Um, yeah, well, you know, Kitsy. I mean, I don't want to jump the gun, but you know, I ended the book with this Joseph Campbell quote, and 
paraphrasing it, he said the the dark cave that you fear most to enter is ultimately what brings you the greatest treasure. And so um, that was my great impetus for writing the book was to show the the journey back to integration. You know, it's sometimes, you know, things have to be broken down to be put back together again or the pot has to be stirred in order for it to resettle in a new way. So it's just, you know, par and parcel to that, uh, you know, that evolution. Sometimes that's that's the prescription. <laughs> well, I want to tell you, David, that uh, that quote has come up a couple of times since I read it in your book. Mm, um, that's amazing. Uh, yeah, in my own mind with, with like, ooh, scared, ooh. Okay, so why are you scared? Well, hmm. So there's great gifts there uh, if, you don't, if you don't avoid it. But <laughs> you, you te- you, yeah, you want to avoid it, right, if you can. Yeah. But, uh, but sometimes that's where, that's where the juice is. Yeah, and that's the warrior side of our path is just to, you know, look truth right in the face. And the thing is on this journey is, you you know, you can't have it in your own way and you can't place conditions on how it's going to look if, you know, if this awakening, this expansion is truly what you want. You have to let it come on its own terms. And, uh, you know, if if you don't give it, it'll come and take it. And you said that there were two CDs that were really affected by what you were going through. And could you could you maybe point to um, to some of the musical elements that really helped you, maybe helped you get through, but also helped you to process what was happening, explain what was happening? Well, certainly uh, on the CD Stars, the song Stars is really about the dark night of the soul, which is... Uh, one way of characterizing what I had gone through. Um, so, you know, the, the, the chorus of stars, we are like stars uh, in the stars in the sky, the darker this night, the brighter we will shine. And that, that was certainly, uh, that whole song was about my, my journey. Uh, there's another song called We Are What We Are on Stars. And uh, lyrically, the, that song is about the absurdity of looking for what you already are. And uh, that song was just about that. Why are we looking for that which we already are? It's, it, it's, it's kind of, in a sense, uh, and, and I became aware how absurd that seeking ultimately was. And so I wrote about it in, in that song, We Are What We Are. I- interestingly, my awakening that took place in 2013 was not in place when I wrote some of these songs, but one of the, one of the great... Um, 
pieces of creativity is that in a way it's foretelling what what the mind cannot. So uh, in a sense, these songs were speaking from a voice that had not fully uh, been birthed within me. Um, and then there were a few songs on Travel Well. Um, new You is one of them. There's a new you, not the one that you believe we wanted you to be, not the one that you believe we all wanted to see. Um, uh, so, and then A Change of Heart is another song, which was very much about that as well. Oh, I wondered about I wondered about that particular song, yeah. Um, yeah, there's a verse in there that says, um, a piece together identity unraveled in a moment of truth. Uh, it, it was the love that you showed me that would see me through, which was you know, spoken to you know, the ones who guided me through this process. It came over me A change of heart 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 must be a great um, outlet to be able to to write about it and express it through music and and touch other people with the experience I mean the book the, the book really fills out the experience so that you can hear it you know I mean what you're talking about in in your music for me yeah yeah exactly I mean the music is a wonderful way to communicate the experience uh, music can do that in any capacity and interestingly, so much of my music was about that seeking, about that longing. And now I'm in uh, the process of making a new record, and uh, it's, it's, it's more in celebration of, of the revelation, of the end of seeking, or just uh, a uh, kind of a, a joyous um, uh, <clears throat> you know, commentary on simply being present in the moment. So a lot of the new songs are kind of post-awakening. And uh, because of that, I think there's a lot of uh, a lot of cel- celebration and joy on the on the new songs. How do you 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 talk about the devotional longing that yeah. um, that is in bhakti longing mm. for? How do you interpret that longing? The longing for what? And do you see that as being at an end now? Uh, on a certain level, I mean, you know, longing is the desire, you know, in the in in I would phrase it in terms of bhakti terminology to be home uh, in your beloved's arms or mm-hmm. to to realize the truth of your nature. So, um, very difficult thing to put into words for me, Kitsy. But um, I, the easiest way I can say that is there is a recognition of my timeless nature, which longs for nothing. Uh, the, the the character, or what I call in the book the time-bound traveler, the one having a time-bound experience, the one who's aging and evolving, uh, still expresses longing uh, and devotion. But since that is resting on a kind of a backdrop of presence, the nature of the longing had, has no desperation, uh, it has no grasping to it. So it's, 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 it's lighter, it's sweeter, and it's unencumbered. Oh, that is just a really beautiful explanation of that. You know, I, 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 I loved, I really did love your book. And could you tell us a little bit more about where you can find it? And also, um, yeah, when is your new CD? Well, tell us about the book first, and then when will sure. your new CD be out? 
Uh, the book is called The Time Bound Traveler, and it's available on Amazon, uh, both as a uh, Kindle ebook and also as a paperback. And I, I also travel with it as well. And the the uh, the press that put it out is called Non-Duality Press, and they're based in the UK, and they also have it available as well. And then your new CD, when will that be finished? Well, I'm in the process. Uh, it's a very, very exciting project for me for a few reasons. Um, one, of course, is uh, sharing the material with everyone. Um, I was introduced to some of the members of Paul Simon's band, and they're playing on this CD, uh, one of which uh, is the bass player. His name is Bagiti Kumalo, and he played on Graceland. And oh, wow. He's, he's responsible for that uh, very famous bass solo in the song, You Can Call Me Out. And uh, he's just full of good cheer, and uh, him and uh, Paul Simon's percussionist, Jamie Haddad, are joining me. And I have a producer who uh, uh, named Rob Fraboni. And uh, Rob is legendary, and a dear friend put us together. And you know, Rob produced the, la- the the music for the movie The Last Waltz. He produced Planet Waves, Bob Dylan. I mean, the list goes wow. on and on. But he's a real spiritual, heart-centered man, and we took a liking to each other. And he has a very unorthodox way of recording. And so it, the the whole process of recording is totally new to me. Many of the musicians are totally new to me. So this is really a huge music adventure for me. (laughs) And uh, although more chanting could end up on the record, uh, there's a lot of, uh, it's kind of like an eclectic jam band, world music, mantra, rock and roll record, you know? Oh, wow. Uh, Yeah, it's going to be very, very different. So I'm super excited about that. But my guess is when it's all said and done, it will most likely be 2015. But we'll see. So could you talk a little bit about what's coming up for you? What are you excited about? Well, uh, I'm going to, tomorrow I'm leaving for Germany and uh, I've toured in Europe at this time. It's a one stop, but I always like to show up there and share my music with the folks in Europe. So it's a big festival called Yoga Vidya and uh, I'm going to be playing there this weekend and um, looking forward to being back there. Uh, But I have lots of good stuff. You know, as we mentioned, uh, Bhakti Fest Midwest is coming up. Uh, Philly Chant Fest also uh, Mm. in June. Um, One event that I'm really excited about because I would say on all my travels, it may just be one of the, if not the most beautiful place. And that is uh, in September 19th through the 21st, which is a weekend I'm going to be teaching uh, a workshop called Awakening Through Love at Esalen in Big, in Big Sur. Oh. And uh, that Esalen's just, you know, it's beautiful hot spring baths on the top of the, you know, cliffs on the Pacific coast. Yeah. The energy there is fantastic. And, you know, one of the th- other things I'm really enthused about is that uh, Yogaville is having Swami Satchitananda's uh, 100th centennial celebration, uh, July 11th through 13th, and I'm going to head down to Yogaville and share some music um, and chanting there for that. So that's that's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, you know, I mean, the bhakti lifestyle involves a lot of travel, but I always come back transformed in some way, and that in itself is worth it, you know? Yeah, exactly. People sometimes look at my schedule as an outsider and it looks exhausting to them. But, uh, you know, this this work or play, as, as I, I would call it, you know, the exchange of heart and the nourishment that I get from the experiences is what really fuels me and enables me to, to uh, you know, engage all the travel. Yeah, 
Well, I look forward to seeing you there, and I look forward to your set. It should be another, are you going to wear another cheese head? I think that was probably a one-time experience, but we'll see. One never knows. Well, maybe they have another kind of cheese that you could, you know, it doesn't have to be a big wedge of cheddar. It could be like, I don't know, a a big Gouda or something. (laughs) I I just thought it added just a a great touch of of humor and and, and you bringing everybody up on stage, you know, to sing. That was another great moment. And um, it was fun. It was just fun and it was feel good. And and, uh, your music is always like that. So I thank you so much. Yeah, it's just a pleasure. And it is a pleasure to talk to you about your book and your music and the experiences that you've had. And um, just want to thank you so much for, for being on the show today. It's my joy. I really thank you, Kitsy, for the support and the interest and for taking the time to, uh, you know, share uh, share some of what I have to share with others. So giving me that opportunity, I'm really grateful. Thank you. <laughs> 